1: Hello, this is Hugo Lane, returning as host of New Books in East European Studies after a long absence. I'm happy to be back and looking forward to speaking with Tom Jones about his recent book, Student Politics in Communist Poland. Hello, Tom. Hi. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm fine. How are you? Well, I'm doing fine, and it's a pleasure to have you on the line to talk about your book. You know, we always, at, at New Books in History, we usually ask people just how they get in, got involved in studying Eastern Europe, and uh, you can talk, if, if you tell us a little bit about that, as well as your specific interests in Poland. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, first of all, uh, thanks for having me on the program, uh, and as to, well, yeah, how did I become... A historian of, of, of Poland and, and it's in a way it's a long and complicated story and I'll try to be very brief um, it might be important to mention that uh, for me personally Poland has never been really far away because uh, I have a link with the region and uh, although I was born in Belgium um, I'm of Polish descent and I was raised knowing and using Polish language relatives in Poland, Uh, though as such that did not really lead me to becoming a historian of Poland, especially because I, I grew up, spent most of my childhood beyond Europe, and I only came back to Europe at the end of the 80s, and, and that's where I remember my first visits uh, to Poland, and of course, this was a period uh, that Poland, for a while, was quite in the news, because at the end of the 80s, of course, uh, we had the collapse of communism, uh, we had the round table, and... Um, I was going into high school uh, in Belgium, and then in the early '90s, uh, basically Poland, Eastern Europe, sort of disappeared off the radar. Uh, what was more, sort of decisive towards that path was that by the time I was finishing high school and getting ready to go to university, uh, for a variety of reasons, as a as a student, I had become politicized and, and sort of on the left side of the spectrum, and I was dwelling in this leftist student milieu where. We very often had um, discussions about uh, history of communism, and socialism, the history of the Soviet Union. And that kindled a kind of interest in me to want to learn Russian and learn more about Russian and Soviet history. And in part that led me then to decide actually to enroll uh, at university in, in the Eastern European Studies program, which was sort of my first step uh, towards becoming uh, historian of Poland, but uh, in the first years, my, my main interest lay with, with um, Russian and Soviet history, and it was only uh, at the time when uh, I had to start thinking about doing my um, research for a master's thesis. Uh, in the summer break of that year, I was backpacking through Central Europe, and when I arrived in Warsaw, on the first day, I, I passed... Um, the university campus in the center in Krakowskie Przedmieście uh and I, I was very impressed by by the campus i mean it just captivated me and i thought well i mean it would actually be kind of cool to uh return here come back here and do do research here for my masters and this prompted me to change my my focus from soviet history to uh what ultimately became um a topic on on studying solidarity and, and the imposition of martial law now for myself um turned out turned out that that topic was kind of kind of a hot topic and and widely debated among historians and in the press in the 90s, because there was also uh, a big parliamentary inquiry into the reasons uh, for the imposition of martial law and so on. And I thought it would be like kind of a challenge, and I set myself one condition, okay, I'll do this, but I'll go to Poland, and I really want to meet the main perpetrator, the main protagonist, who was, of course, uh, General Jaruzelski. Uh, to cut a long story short, um, I succeeded in doing that. And I did my research, and I, I found it fascinating, and I really got hooked uh, through that research on the history of uh, communist Poland. And then a few years later, I decided to uh, go to grad school and do a PhD in history, and it really didn't take a lot of time or imagination to figure out that the research I wanted to do uh, would be on uh, the history of communist Poland again, and it was around this time also that uh, the idea emerged to study the student movement uh, under communist
1: rule. Now, yes, and that's an interesting uh, topic in itself, and uh, because of course we always people always talk about '68, um, but we tend to think about the workers' movement more and then the cooperation with the workers' movement was something like CORE. So what was the reason for focusing on students and student movements?
0: Well, uh, initially, I mean, sort of how the idea came to be crystallized to, to, to venture on that path was uh, the result of uh, some discussions I had with my then uh, supervisor. Uh, and, then, and I did my PhD in Leuven, which was in Belgium quite a big setting for student unrest in the, in, in the 60s and, and 68 there really changed the university in the sense that it um, changed from being a Francophone university to a Flemish university and my advisor actually was one of those 68ers. And apart from being uh, the chair in Polish history, he was also specialized in student movements. And in these discussions, we sort of came to the conclusion that, well, you know, there's not much done on students, actually, in Eastern Europe, in Poland, and if this would not be a good idea for me to pursue. And I have to say, well, this was a topic I, I could personally really relate to, and I became very passionate about. Now, uh, of course, it's it's always important to kind of ask that question of like, okay, why does this matter? And, and should we actually care about students? Because as, as you said, I mean, the main narrative in Poland is about workers, church, intelligentsia, and apart from 68, students don't really figure in that major narrative. But um, let me make just a few points to kind of argue that case. And it's... Well, first of all, there is this broader historical context of the region. Um, there there are fairly deep traditions of student activism in, in, in Central Eastern Europe, and in Poland particularly. Uh, students played an important role in, in, in various movements for national liberation, national independence, spearheaded revolutionary movements since the early 19th century. Now, this, this role was, tends to be overlooked because typical characteristic student movements is that they're transitory and they don't leave a lot of records behind for historical research and on the other hand if one makes too much of a focus on student movements there's always a risk that let's say the broader movement or broader events are taken less seriously um uh some scholars have called this like the phenomenon of uh, children's crusades, actually. Um, and then there's also this element that in, in the classical Marxist view, uh, students and intellectuals were not really seen as independent social actors. This is something that, of course, changes uh, in, in the scholarship of the 1960s as well. Uh, but it's, it's, it's clear, though, that student movements manifest themselves most clearly Uh, when there was some kind of an alliance with a broader social movement, students would then rather act as a vanguard or as an activist recruiting tool. But it's the fact that students alone don't create um, or force revolutionary change. On the other hand, Universities were always um, centers of revolutionary activity, and students, they were carriers of of pretty progressive modern ideas of random nationalism, but there's uh, liberty, socialism, uh, equality of opportunity. These were ideas that were sometimes ahead of their time and would only come to the fore uh, later on a broader societal uh, scale. in part also because student activists um, could become more significant political players in in later life. So ultimately ultimately this this reason of why to study student politics was because one can see students as constituting a sort of social and political uh, barometer of sorts. Student politics can be Uh, An indicator of social and political change. And this was exactly one of the points that so captivated me about uh, the history of Communist Poland, that this was a period with a lot of social uh, and political change. There's another reason um, why I also, uh, and this sort of came later, why I uh, realized that it was uh, quite interesting uh, to focus on, is that uh, student activists, they, they became part of the country's future elites. And after 89, in Poland, uh, many foreign student activists, they became prominent figures in, in political, cultural, academic spheres, uh, in the media. It's also interesting to note that in Eastern Europe, many of the so-called oligarchs, they, they also came from within the ranks of the former communist uh, youth organizations. So, in effect, I mean, student movements, student Politics under communism is also um, important and, and matters because it kind of had, it advances a further understanding of, of certain post 89 uh,
1: developments. And, uh, certainly, I can say from my own personal experience living in the Warsaw University dorms that uh, all the students I knew were, were invo- interested in politics and involved in it, and there was, uh, I, I still have a uh, to go to um, M- 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 Zofcha, uh that I picked up there, to t- right, right there, hanging out in a the, the stairwell, uh, and I was happy to get it through the customs on the way out. Uh, but uh, it, it, I mean, I think, I, I think when I read the book, I mean, this is one of the things that struck me as how much more there is I mean I did remember one of my own Polish friends, the father had been, had been a student in Poznań in 56 and of course the students do play a role there as well uh, and uh, as you say, you know, reading the book it does come out with the, the importance of the building of elites um, now when moving on then your book you know, it covers you know, roughly 40 years a bit more than forty years, and uh, you know, when just you and a lot of it works on sort of generations. But your generations are a lot shorter than most people's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, m- when we generally, you know, when historians talk about generations, it's, you know, of course, it's a rather vague term, but people <laughs> tend to talk about fifteen or thirty years, you know, they're, they're along those lines, and uh... you know you're talking really about almost you know, five or six at the most uh... could you uh, talk about that and is that something specific to students or is it eastern europe or Pol the polish people's republic
0: yeah well I, it's, a, it's a good question and you're absolutely right to point that out and um, uh, historians generally we have a problem when we use this category of, of generations um, there there is much more uh, tools available when we look at sociology but still I mean it remains this kind of vague and slippery concept um, ultimately talking about generations it makes most sense um, to talk about them in both the biological and social context, uh, in which generations are formed based on socialization experiences and, and particularly, uh, certain de- decisive important events in, in which, uh, people participated or witnessed that really defined, um, their consciousness. But, um, the big difference in, in, in why my, book has so many generations in a period of 45 years is exactly because I'm talking about students. Um, the problem the problem of generations is actually inherently linked to student politics, and especially when you're stu- uh, studying it over a longer period, because uh, we're dealing with a social group that is actually continuously changing. The student body every year is um, is getting depleted with certain age cohorts. I mean, students are graduating. At the same time, you have new age cohorts that are uh, entering the student body. Now, if we take in an ideal world, let's say that um, the duration of studies is five years, then we can assume that if that would be the case for everybody, that we would have a totally complete new social group every five years. And if we take that into account, of course, it's not the ideal world. So there are students who stay longer at university for a variety of reasons. There are people who do PhDs and stay longer affiliated to the student body. But in any case, when we talk about especially political generations and the fact that the more Political and and generational events that occur can spawn and define more uh, frequent generations, then this actually gets um, magnified within the student body. Because uh, let's say when we have a major student revolt like there took place in 68, the youngest students who would have witnessed and participated in that revolt would have probably already left the student body like five years later. At that point, you get the potential of a completely new generation arising. And in in, in my research, this is exactly what I traced, that you get this succession, quite quick succession of different... Uh, experiences and and different like decisive generational events which was very typical of course for the speed of social and political change in communist Poland now if you would take somebody who would write a history of The cultural intelligence or writers in communist Poland, well, this person would come up with a completely different uh, length and succession of generations. So it very much is uh, defined by the fact that um, it's linked to student politics.
1: Okay, and why don't we start going through? Those generations, uh, I think you know you you s- to start chronologically, and you know I think one of the biggest differences is between the first generation, which you say uh, or suggest has a lot to do with uh, pre-war conceptions, and then the second generation, which you say is the one that were the mo- that came the most stalwart supporters of the uh, of the uh, PZPR regime. And uh, what happened with that and why? And uh, was there, uh, why was there never another cohort of students that was as beholden to the regime as uh, those that came to the university in the years of Stalinism? Mm-hmm. Well,
0: it's, it's, it's a very complex question, but I mean very much to the point, even in part that it, it contributes to, <clears throat> I think, our understanding also why communism failed. Um, ultimately and as you already said that uh, sort of first generation of students right after the war it was it was very much transitional I mean there were still uh, people remembering the pre-war era during the war continuity being done, and then they leave the university uh, while the communists are actually um, starting to build socialism so um, this is accompanied of course by uh, enormous social and economic change. I mean, they enact a six-year plan. Um, they start industrializing. They need to create a working class because Poland was still very much an agricultural country. Um, they needed also to create a new intelligence, a new educated class that could actually uh, help build uh, socialism and would kind of represent this utopia of the new socialist men and women. And this is exactly what happens um, in this period. And let's also not forget that this is a relatively short period. I mean, this is a period that starts more or less the Stalinist period in academia in 1950 and ends um, middle of, towards the middle of the decade with de-Stalinization. Um, and you, you have three elements, basically, that are of important to sort of understand your more general question. And first is demographics. Second is uh, the part the regime's economic uh, and political policies. And third is, of course, the uh, general attitudes uh, within the student million, the student body. Uh, what happens in around 1950, so late 40s, 1950, the regime realizes that, well, we need experts, we need uh, to create this new intelligentsia that will build socialism. Uh, so they immediately... Uh, embark on a more enhanced um, higher education program. They 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 initiate some reforms as well. Uh, but th- what they do, due to ideology, they also try to change the uh, class background of the student body. So they try to bring in also a lot of um, students from worker and, and and peasant backgrounds. There was a third category at the time, which was called working intelligentsia, was, which was sort of this loophole through which. Uh, your more traditional students would still get into university. And for these young people from worker and peasant backgrounds, and it's important to note again the demographics, within a period of five years, the student body basically doubles from around 50,000 to 100,000, which is enormous. At no point in the rest of the history of, uh, of communist rule in Poland do they have this kind of relative increase in such a short period of time. And for these young people who are part of that, uh, part of those cohorts, from working sources they they're getting opportunities that they would have never been able to dream of before the war. I mean, they can go, they can go to college, they can get an education, they can make a career, they can get an apartment, they can live an urban life, um, and they become the eventually the new elite uh, in communist Poland, and and many of the top positions in. Every sphere of uh, the political and the the economical um, institutions uh, at the end of the 80s are still very much occupied by members of this uh, generation, exactly because these members, they become dependent upon the regime for their careers, for their livelihoods. Um, Now, politically, um, this generation um, and, and this period becomes somewhat of a problem that will never get resolved throughout the period of communist rule, um, the overall majority, and there's a huge ideological drive about the Stalinist period and the overall majority of these uh, students, they turn out to be outward conformists and uh, but they're not completely like believers in the utopia but still, like I said before, this dependence really uh, defines them, so they're very loyal to the regime. The problem arises that a minority, still a significant number of people, but a minority actually are true believers in this utopia, in this building of a new world. But it is exactly these people who rebel during de-Stalinization and rebel against Stalinism, rebel against the regime, cause trouble for the regime. And this becomes dangerous because the regime is actually confronted with a kind of paradox. On the one hand, they want loyalty. They want conformism they don't want actual political passivity but on the other hand they don't want too much politicization and there's this tension that arises that the regime never manages to resolve because like once a group of students gets politicized in the 60s they ultimately instigate uh, the revolt of 68 so this 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 pattern keeps on repeating uh, at the same time, this should be seen, of course, against the backdrop that after destalinization, the regime sort of loses its totalitarian, utopian uh, drive. At one point, they're no longer talking about building socialism, building communism. It's, it's all just really existing socialism. Uh, what you see is what you get. The system is stabilized. But at the same time, uh, you have a demographic uh, evolution uh, one in which the student body still grows so ultimately um, it doubles again by the end of the 1960s to just over 200,000 students and then by the end of the 70s it's already bigger than uh, 300,000 students and um, but this is also at a time when actually the, the general demographic evolution evolves to the point that at the end of the 1970s, one in two Poles is younger than 30. So you have a huge group of young Poles out there, of which students are only a small part, but everybody's more or less dealing with the same problems. And they're posing the same challenges for the regime, because the regime, of course, has to provide housing, has to provide jobs. Um, there is less of a chance for social mo- upward mobility, because as I said before, this this Stalinist generation is already there so and every generation coming behind is actually getting less opportunities uh, to climb and progress in life which creates some resentment um, and this resentment for instance I mean in the 1970s uh, you have Gerek coming in with opening Poland up to the west with this rhetoric of uh, this policy is trying to build a second Poland that is more prosperous but at the same time this raises expectations but The regime gets into economic trouble. And this is one of the main causes also, of course, of the outbreak of revolt in 1980-81. Now, the third point, and this is, of course, the curious part, is that we actually have very good sources um, documenting attitudes of students because a team of sociologists in Warsaw from the late 50s up till the late 80s was doing sociological surveys among the student community and one of one of the key questions until the early 80s was um, about what their feelings was of how the world was evolving and it turns out that the majority of students still even in the late 70s thought that the world more or less was evolving to some kind of socialism this did not mean no necessarily socialism of, this, uh, of the Soviet kind, but still some kind of socialism. That only disappears in the 1980s. That's that's when then young people suddenly stop believing in any kind of uh, socialism. But this is, in essence, the core of why there's such a contradiction, because that generation that is coming of age, that gets socialized, that studies under Stalinism, they take up the best spots. They actually get the best deal, relatively speaking. Uh, They're dependent on the regime, so they're loyal to it. Uh, Everything really, um, their whole life is formed by that experience. Um, Whereas every generation that comes afterwards just gets confronted with less opportunities and for that becomes more resentful and less loyal to the regime. And this is one of the Uh, reasons as well, one could um, see why uh, communism and the communist regime got into trouble because every new uh, young generation believed less and less in the feasibility and in in the positive aspects uh, of the regime, and they didn't see that this was... um, a construct, a, a, a reality that was really um, corresponding to their own ambitions and aspirations.
1: You know, uh, I'm thinking about this, and uh, one of the people who's very interesting, uh, you talk a lot about uh, Poprostu and the, you know, the student, uh, newspaper, and what kind of came to mind there uh, as we we're talking about this is the curious case of Yeshu Urban uh a man who really did seem to fit that earlier Stalinist uh view he wanted very much to be I and mean, he tried four times to get into the mm-hmm. communist party uh and uh yet you know he's crucial to this critical uh side of things as well where do you put someone like him <laughs>
0: Well, I, I put him exactly with that cohort of, let's say, true believers, because especially this role of prosto, I mean, this is really where it comes out of these, I mean, these these radicals, these, these, these young people who want to build this new world and see that not everything is as it should be, which only… Uh, gets worse. Once, of course, um, in in Moscow, uh, Khrushchev uh, delivers his secret speech, which was then later also disseminated in Polish translation. It was quite widely available, um, and these young people um, they they start rebelling. Exactly, I mean, this is the this is sort of the irony that. The then Stalinist regime, they actually created a cohort of young people that would become sort of their nemesis, so to speak, because um, another member of that cohort of true believers, I mean, Karol Moseleski, and he put it very nicely. I mean, uh, he said that, well, you know, when we heard what Khrushchev said about Stalin, we couldn't believe that this was.
1: This is in 1956. This is a secret speech, right?
0: Yes, this was a secret speech. So after reading that, and and like I said, it was it was available. I mean, there were like thirty thousand copies available in Polish translation. So uh, it was known within weeks on a very wide scale what was said and what was criticized about the Stalinist regime, and and Modzelewski he would then say, well, look, I mean this this. Could not just be the result of one man and his character. I mean, this 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 was probably something wrong with the system. And as they taught us, I mean, if, if the system is wrong, you got to overthrow it. And how do you overthrow it? You do it through revolution. And 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 who makes the revolution? Well, it's the working class. But they don't do it alone. But in alliance with students and in intelligentsia. So we basically proceeded. Exactly according to the blueprint, and rebelled exactly how the, the Stalinist regime had taught us of what it means to be a revolutionary. So, and this is, into a large part, the story of uh, uh, of Urban as well. I mean, he of course um, stays loyal to to the regime in later years because he he, he becomes. Um, the speaker for Jaruzelski in the 80s and so on, but actually he, he's, he's one of those very interesting types who in the mid-50s come out of this Stalinist uh, camp and, and exactly really spearhead the, the struggle against Stalinism and, and for de-Stalinization.
1: So, uh, you know, we've we won't talk too much about the Modulevsky and Quran letter, but the the Aftershock of that, which is sixty eight, and um, you know one of the things that really I think uh, struck me as important in in your book is how you debunk the standard view. You know, we got it when we watched um, a bit of Man of Marble, but definitely Man of uh, of Iron, where uh, you have. This notion that the student, you know, the students went out in '68, uh, the workers weren't interested, uh, and then in 1970, in uh, you know, especially in Gdansk, the students, out of spite, do not join the workers' protests. And uh, could you uh, just talk a little bit about how how you what evidence you found that shows <clears throat> this uh, the problems with that narrative?
0: well this this was something that i that I came across while doing the research um, and actually very much not intentionally and it turns out that this was one of the like the kind of the big discoveries that I did um, and as you already mentioned, right? It's 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 a pretty potent myth, and it's really been dramatized by Vida in his movie. Um, now, to a certain extent, I mean, there are two elements that, of course, work to that misrepresentation. One was, of course, the regime propaganda at the time, where uh, the regime organized counter rallies at factories against the students in '68, and then, of course, kept on um, using the same kind of tactics in '1970 the regime also very much tried to isolate and silence what was going on um, in the places where worker unrest had Broken out. I mean, the regime was always interested in a divide and rule um, game. I mean, it's it's also very typical for communist regimes throughout history um, to use a tactic. And that when students would rebel, that they would use workers or some kind of worker militia to kind of counter the students in their protests. Um, But what happened was that I ran across two articles about '68 that already pointed to the fact that our knowledge um, about these events was wrong. Uh, And in part, this is also being sustained by, let's say, the most famous student activists or most known student activists in 68. They, of course, weren't there in 70 because why? They were on trial and were in prison. So they couldn't be there, and many of these became the later known dissidents who then also participated in in Solidarność. So this was another element that perpetuated that myth. But then later, historians after 89, and I ran across these articles that were already pointing to the fact that, well, something's not right with the story, because um, if we look at the number of arrests made in 68. It's interesting to see, actually, that the largest group arrested were
1: working-class
0: youth. These were not students. And then I went further into the archives and, and checked all what I could find on these... Res- and exactly, this, this, this is the one conclusion one could come to, is that um, workers were the biggest group on the streets arrested. Uh, not necessarily the biggest group... Uh, protesting at all, but I mean, there's a simple explanation as well. I mean, young workers have the energy, they want to fight the riot police, they hear that um, these students who are the same age are getting beaten up by the riot police, so they come and join in, they have perhaps more of an enthusiasm to get into a violent brawl, and they get arrested. But still the numbers are quite significant and this this kind of thesis that the workers were aloof makes no sense at all when you look at these documents. The only reason of course why uh, this image of 68 um, uh, sort of got projected is that afterwards, the main uh, or let's say the most known repression that was a consequence of the revolt was against uh, mainly groups of students. Um, and then coming to this conclusion, I was already like thinking along generational lines. Well, rather, the the common denominator of the revolt seemed to be youth. Now, given the close closeness of the two revolts, I, I decided to check if I could find any traces um, on the 1970s and and, uh, on on the 1970 revolt and and this was of course a bit more um, tedious because I mean the places which had seen the biggest worker protests uh, these were not really big or even at all academic centers so by default you wouldn't have a lot of students there uh, then there was another element, which is also quite important in the overall narrative when it comes to workers and students. These these worker revolts tend, tended to break out at times when students were not there. So either um, during exams or during university holidays, university breaks. So you wouldn't have a lot of students around as a group to actually join those revolts. <laughs> But then uh, I came across some memoirs, and even one of them was by Lech who actually makes this illusion that, I mean, workers actually joined the students in 68. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, if they joined in 68, is it really true that students would have stayed aloof in 1970, because that, that wouldn't have made sense. And um, again, I ran across some testimony already to, it was about Gdańsk, and um, there uh, the author in question actually uh argued that students were present but they weren't present as a group because I mean, they it was right before the Christmas holidays and a lot of students had left uh, but they did go out on the street and support the workers but they were just not that visible and then um, this was an interesting case but probably not enough um, to try and trace the the student participation in it so I came up with the idea that let well let's let's check the student towns. And I went to the archive in Krakow and I just came across um, documents from the security apparatus uh, and from, from I mean, the police records, from the militia, uh, that apparently, I mean, first of all, there had been a huge operation to try and um, neutralize the student million before uh, they introduced the price hikes that led to the worker uh, revolts. But then secondly, despite that, that actually hundreds of students came out on the streets, in defense of the workers once the news had leaked out that workers had been uh, shot uh, and then in the, the arrest records it turns out that most of these people who had come out on the streets were people who had been uh, seen or arrested uh, in the March 68 revolt in Krakow and I sort of had my smoking gun uh, where I realized that well, you know, again you get a revolt where though the milieus are more spread out it's, it's the same young people or the same age group that is coming out on the street, revolting, using the same slogans. And in a sense, we should probably redefine our understanding of '68 and '70 and, and as part of a broader sort of moment of generational revolt against the communist regime at the end of the '60s.
1: So more like the West than we. Think I'd of. say.
0: I'd say even more. Um, it, uh, it, it was actually more a case of solidarity because in the West, uh, there was more of a difference between students and workers. I mean, the student milieu was very much uh, differentiated, still very much seen as elitist. I mean, it's really during the revolts that students realize that they uh, want to go and see the workers. There's, there's an important thing that one also needs to take into account about communism in Poland is that uh, young workers... And students, they were socialized in using the same political language. They had less trouble uh, crossing these kind of class boundaries and understanding each other. So uh, the divisions by default were a bit uh, less visible between the student milieu and the working class milieu. So, uh, but yeah. Ultimately, it was we can sort of say if we take go beyond this this very narrow symbol of sixty eight that we were basically dealing with with a similar generational revolt east and west,
1: and that sort of paves the way, of course, for what then unfolds in the eighties. Uh, in the eighties, you know, I, I have a personal interest in because mm-hmm. I have experience. You know, I live. Um, I went. And I studied at, uh, at the Catholic University of Lublin in the summer of eighty-five, and then spent the rest of the year at Warsaw University uh, in eighty-five, eighty-six. Um, so, um, you know, having experienced I didn't. Since I didn't experience Poland in eighty-eighty-one, uh, I was still struck by how what struck me is remarkably free. Uh, you know what. The, the society was particularly in the student milieu. Uh, if, if we were, if I was supposed to be witnessing a life in a totalitarian state, um, and I mean, of course, I'm sure, and I know that my uh, student friends didn't feel that way. One, uh, one had a button. I mean, which this is this is a, a wonderful bit of irony. She had a button that said, "Stop the Stalinization of our universities." <laughs> <laughs> and that she could wear that button. She got uh one of her uh instructors uh took her down saying, "You don't know what real stone is." <laughs> but I mean, but unless she was wearing it and yet, you know, it's, it's a really interesting, you know, sign of what poem was like. Uh but how do, you know, that's my experience uh, when you, you're looking at it from the archives and uh, so, you know, I had this one, two-pronged question. How did normalization shape the student movement in the first half of the 1980s? At the same time, how did the student movement shape political life and normalization?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that, 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 is, that is one of the things that struck me as well, but then from a different perspective, like being the historian, um, going into the archives, and uh, I should also say that probably the, the largest group of people I managed, of the former activists I managed to interview were actually from the 1980s, uh, and by the way, that what you said about that badge, and you don't know what, I mean, there you already have a generational difference. I mean, somebody who experienced Stalinism telling somebody who only had an imagination of what Stalinism was. And um, this this was quite, I think, telling for um, those students and those youths who lived through the 1980s. Because uh, you talked about totalitarian state, but we should also add that, I mean, Poland in the 80s was basically a state ruled by a military junta. I mean, the army was in control. The security apparatus uh, and and police forces were quite prominent. I mean, there was a certain risk of repression. I mean, martial law was imposed. Thousands of activists were uh, interned, um, and and I mean, curfew was imposed, and then and then it was martial law was lifted gradually, and then you have the normalization period. Um, what was very um, interesting to learn was that this martial law that in the academic milieu there was um, a new law that was enacted Um, and this law was nearly completely based on a law that was actually negotiated between um, the opposition and the student opposition and the regime before martial law was imposed and it went very far in granting uh, academic freedom and autonomy to universities. So this this was an immediate like contradiction because, of course, when they imposed martial law, they banned and, and, and disbanded uh, all student organizations. But on the other hand, this new law actually made provisions for self-government councils. So students managed to, for instance, organize themselves in a very democratic manner at their universities and actually continue their activism despite uh, martial law and very often with the support of the professoriate. So um, universities to a certain extent became these these islands of freedom um, under martial law and, and normalization. Outside of the universities, of course, um, youth would radicalize and what you see is, is a very uh, stark rise in in violent uh, demonstrations and and brawls and and, and and street fights with with riot police emerging from the early '80s, and this becomes a sort of cult like ritual throughout the 1980s. Um, The period you referred to that you were in Poland, this was actually also an interesting period because this is when it starts turning around because the regime realizes that it actually has given perhaps too much freedom to students and tries to change that higher education law, make it more repressive and, oh, irony, this is a time when… Most students who had experienced Solidarność and martial law had left the university and there were already new cohorts of students, new generation of students coming up and they, they had been radicalized in high school. They've been very much anti-communist, and this this kind of badge of what you mentioned, uh, stop the Stalinization. I mean, this was indicative for a lot of members of that generation. I mean, they saw uh, the martial law authorities as this was Stalinism incarnated for them. At the same time, they didn't realize that under Stalinism, you just couldn't go out on the street and have street fights with riot police because there was a different kind of repression, right? Um, But this kind of fuels them in their radicalism and uh, towards the end of the decade, it's really young people and students who are um, fueling these sort of new grassroots opposition movements that emerge. And this creates a very new dynamic, and ultimately uh, would set the stage for um, you know the return of Solidarność and 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 the strikes and 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 the roundtable negotiations that lead to the fall of communism. And for a, a large part of that generation, there were also other phenomena because they become completely um, they start rejecting politics as such. You're saying the students, uh, yeah, students um, and. They, I mean, there's this phenomenon called, Poland like internal emigration. Uh, so, uh, sort of return to the private life. But at the same time, you see this um, this rise of youth counterculture, and especially the Polish rock scene. The alternative rock scene was pretty strong, uh, and the regime there as well enacts some, in a way liberal policies, despite martial law, and allows for the organization of of, of pretty big concerts, the most famous one being uh, the one in Yarochi, where thousands of youths come together and, you know, can let their energy loose to this rebellious uh, punk rock and reggae and heavy metal, which ultimately becomes kind of the base of a movement of, of a new rebellion, of, of uh, a general criticism of the reality they see around them. So uh, as the decade goes on, Uh, young people and and students at universities who start organizing themselves again start rekindle, I mean, the the, the public opposition against the regime. So in this sense, I would say that on the one hand, the normalization by actually, if one could put it this way, by not being repressive enough allows for uh, students to still be active, and then at the point when they actually want to turn on the screws, these young people rebel and they really set the stage for what is to come at the end of the decade, and that is the ultimate collapse and implosion of the regime.
1: And that, you know, the, you're talking about the, the strikes of the young workers, and uh, I, I, I gather what, what you're saying the students were playing a role in, you know, we're talking about 1988, this, you know, the witch pushes the buttons that sort of wakes up the older generation to say, we've got to do something. Uh, but I was struck. You know, you say that the students played a, a role in that, uh, but you also speak of this moment of the round table as being a moment of betrayal for student, with the student movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, that's, uh, you know, an interesting phenomenon. Uh, what happened?
0: Well, it is indeed interesting. And, um, I mean, as historians, we can always benefit from hindsight. And I would even say that there was a certain logic to what what took place. Um, students, as I just said before, um, and, and, and young people, also high school students and so on, they became quite active in, in these new... Uh, contesting uh, oppositional grassroots movements. Um, and then in, um, early 88, so this process goes on and students actually meanwhile revive the old band, Independent Students Association, that had um, been founded during the Solidarnosc period. And that was sort of a direct linkage with that period. And, and it was a strong statement. And what happens is that, um, in, in March 88, you have the 20th anniversary of the student revolt in 68. And all these oppositional students decide to do something. And they come out in force and their demonstrations are quite successful. Uh, their rallies are quite successful. Some of them get pretty harshly met by the riot police and so on. But what they see is that their movement is growing, that their movement is strong. Um, these students as well, they, they've been busy um, in the underground press printing their underground journals and so on through the 80s. So they had gained a certain... Expertise in political organization, political agitation. This was uh, also a period, um, so late 87, 88, uh, the regime tries to enact some economic reforms because they see that, well, you know, the crisis just isn't going, we need to reform more. Uh, and then they decide, instead of just going ahead with it, to have a referendum. Uh, which they then also uh, lose, but they try to go ahead with the reforms anyway, which also means, well, the typical uh, set of price hikes and so on. And, and, and the workers react. You get worker strikes in May. Um, and these are workers that actually, again, I mean, they don't have any firsthand memory of the Solidarność period at the beginning of the decade. These workers are the same age. Who lead the strikes? Who initiate the strikes? They are of the same age as the students. In fact, the old Slidamosh leadership was against the strikes initially. This is this is an important aspect. But who comes to support these young workers? It's the students. They go to the factories. They start helping this, uh, the workers organize. They they share their expertise with with printing, with um, agitation, and so on. Plus, they initiate solidarity strikes at the universities, and through that. While the strikes were a lot uh, less numerous than at the beginning of the decade when Solidarność was founded, they actually managed to give the strikes uh, quite some visibility. So it's a psychological blow to the regime because uh, from the archival documents that I uh, consulted from right after the strikes, you have discussions in the Politburo where they are saying the biggest problem we have right now is youth. We've lost them. We've lost. We need to get out of this mess. Now, to make it worse, a few months later, in August, when, of course, there was a summer break, workers go on strike again. Uh, and this time, I mean, students actually also go to the factories, despite it being vacation, because this generation of students is just so politicized. And they go and they stand with the workers. And again, that strike movement then catches I mean, the attention of the regime. And they decide, like, well the only way to get out of this is to start negotiating with the opposition but they don't want to negotiate of course with these young rebels so they negotiate with the people they know from the beginning of the decade who are more moderate at the time and actually uh the old solidum leadership strikes a deal to end to they will end the strikes in return for negotiations and this is ultimately the process that then leads to the round table now when it comes to the betrayal Uh, It's quite an interesting story, because, and we can illustrate it best by a quote uh, from Lech Fawentzer himself, who, when the roundtable starts, and also being conscious at the time that, well, students play the role... And these radical students, they weren't happy at all that the opposition was going to negotiate with the communists because they didn't want to negotiate. They wanted to overthrow them, radical and young as they were. That's what they were. I mean, the the, the most radicalized part of the student movement was so anti-communist that they would not dream of striking a deal with the communists. They did not believe in that kind of strategy. But Valenza even says that any agreement, just like a good table, uh, should stand on at least three... Legs. The first was Solidarnosc, the second was Rural Solidarnosc, and the third was the Independent Students Organization. Now, these were three organizations from the Solidarnosc period uh, that had been uh, suspended, suspended uh, delegalized. So, the point of them was that these three organizations had to be legalized. That was the condition of the opposition going into the negotiations. What happened was that, uh, well, Solidarnosc gets legalized but ultimately the opposition um, agrees to not legalize uh, the student movement, the student organization. Um, This is mainly why um, the round table is seen by the radicals uh, as a betrayal. And at the same time, the students, they start rebelling against the negotiations and there are a lot of violent demonstrations happening in, in some of the most radical uh, academic centers. And um, this even turns it turns the student movement actually in the kind of black sheep that is being used by the regime uh, vis-a-vis uh, the opposition. And it's also interesting to note that the only subtable at the round table uh, negotiating process where there was no agreement reached was the one dealing with youth. So ultimately, when the round table concluded and provisions were made for the first semi-free elections, this was done without having um, consolidated any achievement for the student movement. And well, the the student activists basically saw this as uh, a betrayal of their interests by the opposition who was then supposedly negotiating in their name Uh, and they held one last uh, national strike but in the end uh, most of them anyway went to vote because they saw that they were engaged in in the electoral campaign and uh, of Solid Amnosh and well they realized that this was an opportunity to at least uh, show their defiance by voting uh, for the opposition because of course nobody knew what would happen the day after, and that Solidarność won with such a landslide, and that this would lead to the end of uh, communism. But uh, the fact remains that um, the students very much got alienated by the elder opposition during the negotiating process, because they were basically cut loose.
1: That is an interesting story. Um, And uh, carrying on with that, because this touches again on that, uh, you know, it was absolutely no surprise to read names like Kuron and Michnik in, uh, in this book. Um, nor was it entirely surprise to read uh, uh given that he was uh, a leader uh, of the student organization, the communist uh, student organization. Yet he's an exception. So many of the people that you come up in the later phase of your book, as far as student activists... We would link uh, uh, to the conservatives, including Komarovsky, for example, comes up. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you explain that? What happened? Is, is this just part of that general tra- trend of the older generations not uh, being able to deal with the you know with the need to open way for the new, uh, or is there something else going on?
0: Well, there's something else going on there. Actually, a lot of different things are going on at the time and one of the crucial things is that 68 happens um, 68 not only in Poland but also um, beyond Poland in, in Czechoslovakia uh, this is a year where students who are protesting and invoking the constitution still using what one would perceive as leftist language similar to that that's the language that students on the other side of the Iron Curtain were using uh, they get beaten up by a regime that claims to be leftist, claims to adhere to certain Marxist symbol, um, principles, and so on. And the regime loses credibility at that point. Then a few months later, uh, the Warsaw Pact invades Czechoslovakia, and this puts an end to hopes of you know any kind of reform within the system on, um, let's say, a socialist Marxist um, basis. Uh, what happens in the West is that students after 68 fails, part of them really radicalized towards the far left. Uh, In Poland, you see a different uh, situation where students actually move away from ideology because they, through the revolt, what it teaches them, and especially also after 1970, right, when workers are being killed by a regime that claims to represent the interests of workers, um, they move away from ideology. But this, of course, discredits Marxist ideology. And um, there is... Less and less enthusiasm for this. At the same time, uh, in the official organizations, the new generation comes to the fore. And these are people who are also caring less about ideology. And when Geddes comes to power and all this pulling up to the West, Um, it's ironically these people, like, and um, Simoshevich and Alexei, because these are all names that might ring a bell because these become quite prominent um, social democrat, post-communist um, politicians after 89. Uh, these are people who also have a lot of contact with the West and so on. Um, the ideology is disappearing within the official student organizations as well. Uh, part of them that would adhere to the left uh, they would see themselves as some fledgling social democrats. Uh, some later would even say that they're moving towards social liberalism because partly their contacts with the West. Now, among the opposition, you see a different uh, evolution. So Marxism as a way of critiquing the regime, uh, just like the Marxism of the regime, is discredited. Uh, Students become active also in other centers that were less traditionally known for their activism, like Dańsk. And there you had specific uh, conditions of the population as well. They came from um, the borderlands, um, pre-war Poland. They had experienced Soviet occupation in 31. So there was not much sympathy Um for, for communism anyway, but on the other hand, I mean, the social glue of, of these regions was, was less and only with the emergence of this younger generation in the 70s. Do you see that some kind of social glue has really come to the point that you could uh, expect some kind of uh, student organization? Now, uh, the left being discredited, this opens up opportunity for other Options like um, the nationalists, like the Bolshevikiites, so a lot of the transition uh, traditions of pre-war Poland start getting uh, getting some interest. What is crucial here is that a certain book appears by Bohdan Szybinski that describes exactly the uh, young lives of what would become later the elite of the Second Republic, and and a lot of students get in touch and, and, and read this book, and it inspires them. So this gives a momentum to a sort of more right-wing uh, nationalist ideology to emerge within the student milieu. And then the second factor in that is that the church actually becomes more active uh, through its student parishes, through certain student parishioners who start working with students very successfully and spreading the Catholic worldview, which is also quite close to the nationalist uh, worldview at the time. And this strengthens this kind of sort of right-wing ideology that is emerging <laughs> among students. Uh, of course, this even gets more strengthened by the end of the decade when a poll gets elected uh, to the papacy. Um, and by the time uh, Solidarność breaks out, so that generation of students is very much already uh, in a different um, Uh, well they actually shifted in a sense more to the right which doesn't mean that there was no distinction left and right but it changed meaning. Left didn't mean Marxist anymore. Left meant apolitical activity, left meant uh, activity within um, student self-government councils but the right was winning the ideological battle and as I mentioned before that we have these sociological studies so by the in the 80s we noticed that the idea of socialism is no longer in socialism in even the non-soviet kind, sort of um, social democratic whatever they Im- Im- imagined wasn't popular anymore so this opens up really uh, the space in which this kind of uh, right-wing, uh, nationalist, patriotic, Catholic worldviews uh, take hold within the student view, and of course it's a period when there's less repression, so they're also much easily, easier articulated, and they get then spread because students are by that time already printing their own underground journals and so on. So this, to a large extent, explains this kind of ideological shift. The, the seizure the breaking point is really 68 in which Marxism uh, gets discredited. And then, of course, uh, this evolution of um, this, this, this right ideology appearing. Now, it's also interesting to note that you see a similar situation emerging um, a few decades later and exactly with the same protagonists that you might encounter in my book, because um, in a sense, as I said at the outset of our talk, I mean, student activists, they, they tend to come become more important political players later in life. So a lot of these student activists from the 70s and the 80s, they go into politics later and they really come to the fore uh, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and this is one of the Explanations one can put forward why right now in Poland you have a sort of pluralism on the right and a non-existent left, because those who were the post-communist left were exactly still the people who were actually the student activists in the official organizations in the 1970s.
1: The students that uh, shocked me, my, my jaw dropped, and I'm, I know I'm not the only American who had the experience, of having Polish students tell me how much they like Reagan. Uh, and, oh, yeah. And, and, uh, I mean, it was it was the norm. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, you, you expected it from old men who told me that, but it was when the young men told you that my age, it was quite a shock. Um, but uh, this has been a wonderful tour of your book. I really enjoy it. I recommend it uh, as a, a new way to look at what how uh, how communism unfolded and unraveled in Poland, uh, and but uh, what are you working on now? Uh, well,
0: I'm I'm working on several things. Um, uh, one big project that I'm working on now is um, looking into the. Inner party relations of the Polish Communist Party in the Cold War uh, with fraternal communist parties and social democratic parties in Europe. And this is part of a, a bigger project actually on the history of the Polish Communist Party that is coordinated by um, the Institute of National Remembrance in Poland. Uh, apart from that, I still work because, I, as I said, I'm kind of passionate about student politics. So I still work on student movements in the cold era, um, but rather than from um, comparative perspectives. So I've got some smaller uh, projects running in that. And I also got more and more interested in, in contemporary student protest, and here more precisely... Um, in the recent protests in in the Balkans and in Ukraine and in the coming year um, I hope to finish a book that I'm co-authoring on uh, the student movement that emerged in Bulgaria in late 2013 during um, a very large wave of uh, anti-government protests that took place there.
1: Well, that's very interesting and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that when it comes out. Uh, you've been listening to new books in East European Studies um, I'm your host Hugo Lane, and we've been speaking with Tom Jones about his book, Student Politics in Communist Poland, Generations of Consent and Dissent, and Dissent. Well, thank you very much uh, Tom and you have a wonderful rest of your day Well, thank you.